This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom and Brandy left alone this morning, Friday, January the 20th. That is because Richard Dean utterly lucked out. Mrs. Dean got him and a junior Dean tickets to go and watch Lionel Messi and Ronaldo play football in Saudi. Uh, But Richard is a trooper, and so he joined us for what was my absolute favourite interview on the show this morning, uh, and that was Richard live from Riyadh on a gold throne. This, obviously, is an audio podcast. I suggest you go and check out our social media if you do want to see a video of Richard complete with chandelier. Believe me, it is worth it. Uh, Richard explained why the football match was more than a football match, why it was indeed a cultural and social moment, or at least that's what he's told the KHDA, to get his son out of school. We've also been looking at what's come out of Davos as we come to the end of the week of the World Economic Forum. We've been looking at a number of new reports, including one from Property Monitor, uh, having a look at how December has fared when it comes to price rises. Spoiler, good month. Yet another one. We've been speaking to Jean Jahinki of Property Monitor. And Sean Evers, founder and managing partner of Golf Intelligence, has been in looking at a week of clean energy headlines. One thing that I was discussing overnight, Brandy, um, and it's a little look ahead to the year that is at the moment. Uh, a lot of people talking already about uh, Ramadan just around the corner. Um, a bit of it's not so much anecdata because it was conversation from those in the hospitality industry. The, the question mark about the time after Ramadan, between Ramadan and summer, and the suggestion that it might be a little bit of a fallow period, certainly for certain industries like entertainment and hospitality. Um, there is a little bit of evidence out there that uh, some of the contracts are not being renewed for six-month contracts because... Uh, hoteliers, venues, etc. A bit concerned as to whether we are going to see major footfall in that time. Because, remind me, so Ramadan this year, mid-March to mid-April? Expected, and obviously um, it depends on the uh, moon sighting, um, around the evening of the 22nd of March. We know things will die down, uh, obviously, during uh, Ramadan, uh, as people take time to reflect. Um, so we're looking at what, late April for April things to get back onto their feet? 19th, 20th, I think. Yeah. 19th to 20th, which is still a long old way through to what, end of June before kids go away on school holidays? That is really interesting, particularly the couple of years that those in the entertainment business have had, haven't they? Because we know that that was one of the sectors that struggled um, quite a lot in COVID because live entertainment was, was one of the first things to take a hit. Yeah, because Ramadan obviously moves every year mm. um, and the actual calendar month um, and the timing that it, that it is in. Uh, so what are people saying to you? They're, they're just, just looking at a bit of a a bit of a lull before we come into the summer season. Yeah, and it's obviously people, you know, it's obviously hotels and hospitality and venue managers who are looking at this uh, and the data that they're seeing is going, oh, do we want to sign our artists for a six-month contract all the way through to the summer or is it going to be a fallow period? Um, it just It's in stark contrast with a lot of what we're hearing. You know, all these reports that we're hearing at the moment, boom, 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 busy, 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 footfall, footfall, footfall. Um, I just wonder whether there will be... We know there's going to be a bit of a slowdown during Ramadan. Always is. Goes without saying. Is there going to continue to be that slowdown in business, in market, post-Ramadan into summer? Well, one man who runs a... Um, 
variety of entertainment venues um, near the DIFC has just messaged us uh, to say that he thinks his opinion and what he's banking on um, is that it'll be a strong few months after Ramadan and an even stronger June. Look at that. I like that one. Uh, we are hearing from the CEO of Amanat Holdings, Dr. Mohammed Hamadeh. Why are we hearing from him? Uh, he's down at the World Economic Forum in Davos. He's one of many delegates from the Emirates who's made the trip to Switzerland this week. Our producer, Mohammed Suleiman, has been catching up with him over Zoom. Uh, Dr. Mohammed saying that he's impressed by how the GCC has been represented at the World Economic Forum this year. It is impressive to see how our region in the Gulf is being uh, represented in in Davos. Uh, I think specifically the United Arab Emirates with a very strong uh, high-profile delegation and a pavilion with the title of Impossible is Possible is really playing playing a big role. Saudi Arabia, again, with a very strong delegations and big plans ahead to host the Expo and the future World Cup and, and other uh, strategic plans uh, for the country, uh, in addition to Neom, of course, and another projects that are strategic. Similarly, Qatar uh, with with a very strong and high profile uh, delegation. So, why is it important for Amanat to be involved at Davos this year? From Amanat's perspective, it's really a privilege to be part of this uh, global dialogue. We are, uh, f- from the angle where we play, which is investment in healthcare and education, two very vital sectors. And we've noticed that key stakeholders are actually very interested in further growing these sectors in our region. We had the opportunity to speak to key stakeholders to really understand where is the direction, what are the, the key areas and the key sectors under healthcare and education that we can contribute to regionally and globally, we were able to really speak to stakeholders that are uh, really on the forefront of innovation and technology um, and, and be able to, uh, to, to explore potential collaboration with, with various stakeholders. Mohamed Hamadeh, that is, was uh, speaking on a panel uh, over at WEF. Um, he explains more about what the discussion involved. A panel on how to prevent lost learning. So the focus is really on education, accessibility to education, democratizing access to education to different learners around the world. And where would investors like us focus? What are the key areas of focus for us? And, and specifically, what is the role that technology is playing? And what are the, the innovations out there that we would be interested in and that would be part of the future classroom rather than the classic classroom under the classic global education model that is really evolving and has, has significantly changed. Uh, we are also part of the Education 4.0 Alliance with the World Economic Forum, which has really defined a framework around the skills, the abilities, the values and the attitudes that are required for young learners today to be able to face the future. And along these lines, stay tuned for more on later today. That was our producer, uh, Mohamed Suleiman, in conversation with uh, Dr. Mohamed Hamadeh, uh, with a little bit of a teaser as well to stay tuned for the rest of the day. He's the CEO of Amanat Holdings, who's in Davos for the 52nd World Economic Forum, or WEF. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Where we are this morning, taking a sneak early peek at the latest Property Monitor report, this one for December, their real estate index. Surprise, surprise. It is another strong month of growth. Very pleased to be joined by the Property Monitor COO and Cavendish Maxwell, Director of Market Intelligence and Research, Jean Jahinki. Jean, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy Friday morning. So we've got the strongest sales performance on record for December, 
but the pace of acceleration is slowing. Do you want to run us through those numbers and put them in context? Yeah, so we're up about 1.7% month on month uh, for December. Um, So a nice growth rate. But if we look historically since the recovery, um, in 2021, annual growth was about 16%. And then annual growth for the full year last year was just above 11%. So that month on month growth rate is tapering off, which is a good thing that we want to see with the market. And we hope to see it going forward. Um, We've now surpassed two years, more than two years since the market bottom out and started to recover. The previous market cycle upswing only lasted for two years. So we've surpassed that. We've not reached the price point of the last market peak. So it's going slower and more steadily. So normally you'd expect market cycles one after the other to end up slightly higher than the last. Um, So we could see the market go on. There's definitely room in the market. We could see another, say, 12 to 18 months of gentle price appreciation. Where you say we're not quite at that historical peak, where are we historically? Um, so we're about 15%, I think, now below that market peak. So there is some room to go in there. Um, but again, markets don't always have to reach the last peak. Certain things can come in to slow them down, to abruptly stop them. The biggest one of those is supply. Most markets tip into that downward phase because of oversupply, or in the economic term in the market quadrants, um, hypersupply. And where are we on the supply front? Growing. Um, But it's being absorbed, right? So there's that balance. Supply and demand, we want to look at absorption. More and more properties come on the market. As long as they're being absorbed, being purchased, then we're in a good position. So we've got developers launching records amount of inventory. Last year, we saw about 53,000 new units come to the market. Most of those in the apartment segment, about 70%. Um, And we've on pace to probably see that continue going into the new year. Developers are really back and they're back with force. So it's interesting. Quite a lot of this report is dedicated to that off-plan segment. And you've got questions not just about the amount coming to market, but about why people are buying it. Yeah, so if we look back to where the market recovered, we know villa and townhouses, that's where the growth was, that's really dried up. And initially, a lot of the people that couldn't get those jumped into the off-plan segment buying villas and townhouses. Now we've got a lot of apartments coming in, and now what we're starting to see is people just not buying for end juice, but investment. And the data is starting to point towards potentially some speculative activity. What kind of data? What shows you that people are speculating? Is it actual flipping or more subdued than that? So the first thing we can look at is off-plan resale. So an off-plan property, something that's not yet finished. Um, If that changes hands a second time, so from a developer to a buyer and a buyer to a new buyer, a resale, that can be something that indicates that it's been a flip. Some people just might have gotten lucky and thought, you know what, I was buying this to live in and then they nice margin, they decide to cash out. Um, That number's growing. We're at about 20% now. It's been steadily growing for the last six months. It's really hard to give you what sort of number is going to be a tipping point on it. When I go back and look historically, it's around about the 20 to 25% mark. But it can't be looked at in isolation. So I'm not saying it's at 20% now. I'll be scared. There's too much speculative activity. But we need to watch that number and watch it grow. Why is speculative activity, to play devil's advocate, why is it a bad thing? Quick, quick, easy money always comes with inherent risk, right? If you're looking to buy something, it's, look, it's not going to be like years gone by where you buy it and six months later you flip it, right? Or even before that, you buy it, you walk down the line and you flip it onto someone for a profit. 
That's We've got not, laws against that now. Yeah. There are things in place, not necessarily laws. Each developer has the right to impose their own things on there. I won't, won't put names to the developers. One prominent one is at 50%. They raised it from 30% paid or 30% completed to 50%. Um, 30% tends to be in most SPAs, but that's developer imposed. Um, and a lot of time they're doing that to protect the market, but to also protect their market going forward. They don't want to be competing essentially with what they've sold. Um, in general, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have an overall regulation that says X has to be done, say 50% completed or 50% paid, or maybe there's a higher transfer fee just to slow down that pure flipping activity. What we don't want, what we don't want to see a lot of flipping is it makes prices run away. It pushes them towards that escalating too quickly and bubble territory. What are you hearing or seeing anecdotally or data-wise about the kind of margins that people are getting for this resale? So if you look at, it depends when the project was launched. If you're looking at something that was launched pre-COVID, margins are pretty healthy, right? Take um, Talal Al-Gaf, right? Timed perfectly in the market, their original phases, you're probably looking at a 30% premium. Nice and tidy there. The later those phases went on, the premium is a little bit less and less as each phase. And it's pretty much the same over time. If you're buying three years ago, you're probably looking at that 30% premium or so. Now you're seeing some bought in the last 12 months, probably around the single digit premiums there, maybe encroaching into the low teens. Okay, we've got about a minute and a half left for you. So quickly, how much new inventory can we actually absorb? It's a great question, right? Dubai has a lot of external influences that drive growth here. It's not just people that live here buying, it's not just end users, it's people from all around the globe. And it seems that we're the net beneficiary of a lot of things with, if you think of the, the real estate market as a stream, and that stream has lots of taps that feed it, right? The Russia-Ukraine conflict fed that recently, and it's still feeding it. Lots of Russian buyers in the market more than ever before. China was just turned on back in December, and there's other taps that could be turned on. We're already getting reports from developers that December activity to Chinese buyers has gone up exponentially. 30 seconds left with you. Rental yields. What where are we sitting at the moment and, and what does that mean for why and how people are buying? Yeah, so we're about six and a half, six point seven percent. They were last sort of quarter around six and a half. They've just ticked up a little bit more. Um, those yields are likely to start to experience some pressure now as handovers start to happen. You've got a lot of inventory that's not just been sold, but coming to completion as that comes on, more supply should drive prices down. But going forward, expect them to hold around that mid six percent range for the next year or so. Um, there's not gonna be enough supply to push them down dramatically. Jean Jahinke is the Cavendish Maxwell Director of Market Intelligence and Research, as well as the Property Monitor COO, coming in with their December price index, looking at the strongest uh, sales performance on record, but the pace of acceleration slowly dropping. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, Sean's been kind enough to join us live in studio. Sean Evers is the founder and the managing partner of Gulf Intelligence, here to talk all things energy. Morning, Sean. Good morning, guys. Nice to be back in the studio in January, what is it, 20, 21? Uh, there, thereabouts, thereabouts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of weeks in, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, where has the year gone? Well, there's been plenty of stories in the energy uh, industries for us to get our teeth into this morning. Let's start with that report out this week from Bank Paribas, if we can, please, Mr. Evers, because uh, Bank Paribas um, suggesting that there will be a softening in oil prices in 2020. Three, but saying that GCC communities, specifically the UAE, Qatar, are best placed here in the region to weather that storm. Concur? 
Well, I concur with both. I mean, ultimately, the price of oil in 2022 uh, over the course of the year averaged at $100 on Brent crude oil. Whopping wonderful news for the Gulf region, fiscal surpluses everywhere. So that momentum in the regional economies with the with the r- fiscal revenue spent in more pr- practical and, and uh, productive ways uh, I think the the region does have a very positive outlook for the year ahead, even though the global uh, picture is looking a little bit more uncertain. But nonetheless, one has to expect that the oil price will come off on the average for the year. You know, we're sitting in the 80s now. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the average for the year roughly around where we are, mid-80s, 80 to 90, as compared to 100. So we'll take that any day of the week. That's wonderful. You know, the the regional economies will still enjoy a little bit of a surplus at 80 to 80, 80 to 90 dollars on Brent. Not as big as last year, but let's not be greedy. The the world economy is adjusting. And so I think an 80, 85 dollar average for the year seems about right to me. We always talk about the the level that the Gulf countries put in their, their balance sheets when it comes to the oil price. We know that it's um, extremely low compared to where it usually ends up, but a fiscal responsibility. What does extra sources of revenue for the governments here, things like the corporate tax coming into the UAE, uh, mean for our reliance on the oil price, Sean? I think perhaps in the big wheel of time, it might tweak differently. Uh, But uh, I would point to probably the most immediate impact of recent years has been in the biggest economy of the region, which is Saudi Arabia, where over the COVID window, they ramped up VAT, VAT from 5 to 15%. That is a significant adjustment, obviously, but also a significant amount of uh, government uh, revenue. Uh, That will be certainly very well needed for the kind of transformation Saudi Arabia is pursuing at the moment. They need every dollar they can get. Another reason why one can expect oil prices to be closer to 150, because Saudi Arabia, the biggest oil exporter in the world, is very, very determined and in need of revenue when they're basically trying to change their economy in five minutes. So that 15% VAT is a massive win. Here, less so, 5%. I think what we're doing here in the UAE ultimately is adjusting, right? The VAT that came in was to get all of the companies lined up to report or, to report their accounts, get everything audited, uh, and now corporate tax is coming. So once all that beds in, in a year or two, certainly they will be very serious amounts of revenue that will sit alongside oil, but never, not never, but not replace it as this critical source course, maybe for five years. From carbons to cleans, if we can, obviously, we've got Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week coming to a conclusion. The great and the good of clean energy have been in town over the course of the last seven days. A number of big announcements as well. I haven't got enough time to go through all of them. A battle energy signing an MOU with OMV Downstream uh, and Pak Arab Refinery Limited to explore opportunities in sustainable fuels and feedstock production in Pakistan. number of international de- delegations in town. Uh, given... The spike in numbers, given the spike in uh, 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 memorandum, uh, MOUs, uh, joint ventures, etc., that we've seen signed off over the last seven days, are we seeing momentum when it comes to clean and sustainable fuels? 
I think this certainly, you know, when you throw a lot of money at something, you know, things do evolve. But I do think that uh, Abu Dhabi in particular, Adnoc, uh, the the biggest energy company in the UAE, is very serious about the economic opportunity of lower carbon fuels, most significantly into hydrogen and are deploying a lot of money and resources uh, into the new fuels, but also very heavily uh, focused on decarbonizing existing operation facilities. So I think with obviously the year that's in it, uh, COP28 being hosted in the UAE in November, uh, there will be a lot more focus and momentum to the new energy fuels, to decarbonization right across the economy, but inevitably in the energy opportunity. We've seen uh, just before Christmas uh, the the finalizing of the merger of Taka, Mubadla and Adnoc in their ownership of Mazdar uh, uh, Renewables, which will launch Mazdar into a global scale company in the renewable space. So I do think it's very tangible. There's a lot of real intention and a lot of interest and a lot of money uh, uh, being put at that. So I would expect Dubai or the UAE to continue on the pathway to this, what is a sizable economic opportunity in the green, lower carbon energy economy over the next decade? Where do you see the biggest win for that? We've seen that that one of sort of the pillars um, of new growth being outlined by authorities here is hydrogen, wanting to be one of the the biggest um, producers of, of clean hydrogen in the world. Sustainable aviation fuel is also making headlines. There's a big project down the road from here to develop that. What do you see as being... Sounds horrible to talk about clean energy and say the most lucrative, but the most lucrative of the clean energies for us, Sean. Well, I think the, the 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 biggest one, obviously, I would say, I mean, from a pure economic point of view, is the decarbonization of the oil and gas production. Uh, the UAE and Abu Dhabi is pursuing uh, the, the lowest carbon footprint barrel under production. And if you can reduce methane leaks and all of the things that they're, they're striving to do, that will create very big economic opportunity because in time, oil and gas will be monitored in the global marketplace from its carbon footprint, like steel is today. Certain markets won't buy steel and other products that are made with a high carbon footprint. Similar will come to oil and gas. So the lower you can get your carbon footprint, your methane leakage rates and so forth, you're going to enjoy a big economic upside. But going forward, clearly on the new fuel side, hydrogen is identified as the real game changer, particularly for heavy uh, mobility, trucking and and other areas like that. And that would be whoever wins that race. Mm. It's got a big first mover advantage about it, a bit like LNG had 30 years ago. Uh, the UAE and the Gulf region is a good place to, to do that. Green hydrogen could be a global winner, and certainly all the money's been put on that bet. 30 seconds left with you, Sean. A new Gulf intelligence reporter. What can we expect? We put out a, a report this week on... Uh, how is Adnoc embracing the energy transition, which is uh, clearly, this is, as we mentioned in our talk, the biggest energy company in the region. Uh, and now with COP28 here, there's a lot more focus on what companies specifically are doing. And we, we decided to put together a report that kind of condensed all of the transformation that Adnoc has made in the new energy, the energy transition over the last five years, and put it in one document so that everybody could really just have a in one space a b- briefing on what that looks like. So that's what we published this week. 
Good on you, Sean. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, make sure you check out the intelligence report. That's Sean Evers, the managing partner of Gulf Intelligence. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It was billed as Ronaldo against Messi in Saudi Arabia. PSG came out uh, as victorious against the All-Star team in a nine-goal thriller in the Riyadh Season Cup opener. Ronaldo scored twice. He was punched in the face. Lionel Messi also in the score sheet to help PSG triumph in a thrilling Riyadh Season Cup opener, a game that delivered in more ways than one. Um, Any coincidence that uh, that game was ongoing? And there's just two of us here in studio. We've been trying to find out where uh, our co-host and colleague Richard Dean is. Didn't turn up to work this morning. All we got was this. Setting the atmosphere uh, and now setting tongues wagging because uh, Richard Dean now joins us. Ordinarily, it would be from his very stylish uh, library at uh, Shea Dean. But it looks like we're crossing over to Hugh Hefner's residence or something like that at the moment. <laughs> Dean, where on earth are you? Morning, Thomas. Morning, Brandy. I'm in Saudi Arabia because I came for the game last night. I got tickets last minute. Uh, brought my son. He's bunked off school. I've bunked off work, and it was well worth it. Yes, yeah, so I'm in a Saudi hotel room near the stadium. If you're watching on TV, you'll see that I'm speaking to you from a gold gilded throne at the moment, which is quite special. Let's not leave out the chandelier, Saudi Richard. The, oh, yeah, chandelier is is up here. It's uh, it's pretty special. But they've looked after us brilliantly here in Saudi Arabia. And what a night last night! I mean, nine goals the game, but the the build up. You know, it, it was like a carnival, lasers, lights. Amitabh Bachchan uh, was here, the Bollywood star. It was fabulous. Uh, talk to me about the experience as well, because obviously uh, regular listeners will know that you were down in Abu Dhabi yesterday, hot-footed it over to the kingdom. Easy getting in and out of the stadium? Uh, no, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> Any further questions? Good, I'm glad that some things people. don't change. <laughs> 67,000 people at the King Fahad Stadium, it was full. And the- don't often get those kind of crowds. Look, it was fine. Uh, it, it wasn't the easiest, but we, you know, we got there and and we got out. So the logistics worked, and and it was absolutely rocking. It really was, and and that's the point of having Ronaldo here, and that's why Saudi Arabia paid a reported ten million euros to PSG to come and play this game because they wanted to get Ronaldo versus Messi. They wanted to make it a global event. Um, obviously, this was billed as an exhibition match, an exhibition all-star match, no less. Um, obviously, the players did their bit. Nine-goal thriller. Uh, did the referee get the memo? A red card? Yes. Yeah, it seemed a bit harsh. Um, but yeah, there was a red card. And as you say, Ronaldo got, got punched in the face. So, oh, they were going for it. Um, hammer and tongs last night. Yeah, it was a proper full-blooded match loads of goals you really couldn't have asked for more but of course the serious business starts on Sunday Ronaldo's got to get down to his day job Al Nasser have got a big home game on Sunday and that's in the Saudi Pro League so it really is sleeves up off to work you say that uh, as of course his day job but his job I suppose has already begun to a certain degree I mean you've been down there sampling the atmosphere at the King Fardham Stadium yesterday but also in and around the stadium the country as a whole has Saudi football's profile been risen already? Oh, completely. 
Um, you know, it started with uh, beating Argentina, the Saudi national team in the World Cup, which was brilliant for Saudi football. Of course, Qatar, its neighbour, hosting the World Cup. And then Ronaldo joining Al Nasser, one of its clubs. They're clearly on a mission to raise the profile of Saudi football and they're throwing money at it. $175 million a year reportedly for Ronaldo. And don't forget Wednesday night, Tom, you had the Italian Cup final, which took place in Riyadh. Same stadium, 51,000 people. So th this is a multi-layered approach to raise the profile of Saudi football. And it's working. Al Nasser have gone from 750,000 followers on their Instagram channel a couple of weeks ago to more than 10 million now. That's just one example. And in terms of how they're actually going to pay that salary, have you got any indication as to that? Yeah, so um, some. Masali Al-Muamar is the, the president of Al Nasser Club. He says three ways. First, merch and ticket sales. Ronaldo sells stuff. Secondly, you're going to get more sponsors with Ronaldo's profile. And thirdly, they have a supporter, a member of the royal family here. It is His Royal Highness, uh, Sheikh Khalid bin Fahad bin Abdulaziz. He is a supporter of the club. And we don't know uh, what financial input he will have, but he's a supporter of the club. And then, of course, don't forget, a lot of that salary, again, we don't know how much, is paid by the Saudi Sports Ministry because he's an ambassador for Saudi Arabian football. So we don't know the full breakdown, but that's kind of how they're going to make the maths work. Football on a high in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We talk about the sort of uh, the business impact in Saudi Arabia at the moment on a daily basis as well. You're back in the kingdom. Do you get a buzz that there is a positivity in the air? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm only here for 24 hours or so, but this is a this is a country on the march. Look, I mean, it helps the oils at what 80, 90 bucks a barrel and has been for some time. But there's you know there's there's a there's a buzz and there's a, a vibrancy here without a shadow of a doubt and of course you know Dubai is UAE is in in that in that orbit as well so we benefit uh obviously loads of daddy credit for taking your son as well yes they did enjoy it uh, he did enjoy it yeah very much so whether his school teachers enjoyed the fact <laughs> that he bunked off for not one but two days is a, is a different matter the KHDA if they're listening might be in touch with me but I think it's genuinely a, a social and cultural moment yeah. for the region Ronaldo arriving here and I thought it was important to be there and finally, uh, obviously, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia on something of a march at the moment. But, you know, there's still a bit of a village mentality in people in terms of somebody knowing somebody, somebody knowing somebody. Uh, does that therefore mean avocado on toast with the Ronaldos this morning? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. But uh, did you, my, my good lady wife managed to get me the tickets last minute. Two million people applied for tickets for this game last night. Massively popular. One guy, as we know, paid two and a half million dollars for a VIP ticket to meet Messi and Ronaldo. So there was a, an awful lot of demand last night. Sort of guy that should be sitting on a throne in a, go a gold-gilted cage somewhere Let in Saudi Arabia you, at the moment. You've got to see the full, the full impact of the throne here. It's, um, it, it's, it's embossed, it's embroidered, it's got gold, gold wood, it's got the lot. Uh, interiors with Richard Dean. <laughs> Deanie, enjoy it. Enjoy the rest of your time over in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I'm glad you enjoyed the game. Uh, safe journey back to the UAE. We'll catch up with you on Monday. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.